kids, I have something for you this morning. You can see I have a little special friend up here. This is Donkey, and I'm going to introduce you to him in just a second. But maybe you want to run and grab your favorite stuffy, come and bring them and have them enjoy this moment with you, and then get somebody to take a picture and send it to Marissa, Marissa at kgfchurch.com. So that she can, so we can post some of these pictures this week. So go grab a stuffy or two, not a dozen, because you'll crowd out the room. We might see that happen, but at least one. Go get a stuffy. And church as well, I want to recognize our opportunity to give and offer to God uh, some of what he's given to us as we give in our tithes and offerings. In this season, of course, we know many people are losing jobs. Uh, situations are changing for many people. Totally honor and respect that. But as God has given us opportunity and to continue to honor him with what he's given, we invite you to continue to give. You can give online. There's ways to do that right where you're watching. Uh, also, you, if you want to drop it by in person, you're offering. You can do that here at the church building between 9 and 12 on Monday morning. Somebody will be here. But let's continue to give now, there's going to be great opportunity for us to be a blessing into this community. And so we pray that you, uh, out of what God has given to you, we would continue to honor God with our wealth and the goodness that he's given to us, no matter how big or how little that number is. All right. Well, this, as I've said, kids, this is Donkey. Right there, little Donkey. He's very special in our family, and he's chosen for a special job. When I travel without my family, Donkey comes along with me and I take pictures of him in mysterious places and then I send the pictures back home to my kids. Uh, and so we're going to ask if you would like to participate in a Donkey mystery this morning. All right, here's the Donkey mystery. I'm going to show you a few pictures and you can see one of them there right now. And you're going to play the little game. You're going to see if you can figure out where Donkey is and we'll see how many of you score six out of six. Are you ready? So this is number one. Where's Donkey? Yeah, he's in bed. Okay, that's the easiest one. They're going to get harder as they go along, so don't, don't tune out quite yet. Here's number two. Where's Donkey? What city might Donkey be in right now? He's in Edmonton. Yes, home of the Oilers. And he's trying on a Edmonton Oilers <clears throat> jersey. It was a little too big, so he didn't get it. So that's Edmonton. Number three is hmm it's a little trickier but if you look carefully at the starbucks mug you can figure it out where is he he's in shanghai china yeah donkey made it all the way to china shanghai starbucks in the shanghai airport there he is all right number four anyone figure out where he is now he's in ottawa he's in our nation's capital Hopefully you could recognize that. How many of you are four for four? Some of you maybe. Uh-huh. Number five. What's the fifth one? Now we're going to take it up a notch. All right. It's going to get really hard in these last two. Where is Donkey here? Oh, man. If anybody gets this, I want you to let me know because I'll be super impressed. He's in Bonn, Germany at the United Nations. Can you believe it? At the United Nations, they had a donkey conference. No, they didn't. They didn't. But Donkey was there, and he got a picture taken in Bonn, Germany. And then lastly, picture number six, where is he here? And this one is tricky because it looks kind of like a parking lot. But I want you to think if you can figure out the city. And if you look off in the distance, it looks very flat. 
Where do you think a very flat place, and I'll even give you another clue, in Canada, where might he be? This is Regina, Saskatchewan. Donkeys in Regina. He saw his friend run away for a very long time from this high position in Saskatchewan. So, donkey in six different places. If any of you got six for six, let me know. I want to know. Uh, so kids, take some of your stuffy pictures in isolation and send them to Marissa this week. Because everyone loves a good mystery. Everyone loves a good mystery like we just played with Donkey. And so we're coming today to Ephesians chapter 3, where, dis- where Paul describes the revealing of a great mystery. Do you know that the Bible actually solves a great mystery? And we're going to solve it shortly, but first let me ask this question. What is today? Today is... Palm Sunday. And each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tells the story that Christians remember on Palm Sunday, this day, the Sunday before Easter weekend. So let's listen to John's telling of the story of what happens on Palm Sunday. John chapter 12, verse 12. Even I have to find it here. John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, it's kind of funny if you think about it, if you think of the fact of a grown man riding a little donkey into one of the most important cities of the world. Imagine if Justin Trudeau would ride into Ottawa on a tiny, a tiny donkey. Well, that would be like, that would break the silly meter. But for Jesus, who is God with us, this seems methodically planned out. In fact, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's telling of this story, it says that he even methodically found the donkey that was planned to ride on. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And he, who in Ephesians chapter 1 says, that Ephesians chapter 1 says is over all things, rides into the city in a way that not even the mayor of the smallest town would do. In ancient Rome, generals and emperors rode victorious on stallions into the cities they conquered. But Jesus rides purposefully on a young donkey while the people wave palm branches and shout him to be the king. It's a mystery indeed. Now, why is this premeditated donkey mystery happening? Well, the clue is found in that little scripture that, it's, that John referenced, where it says, the, uh, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it, as it is written, and then he references Zechariah, the Old Testament prophet, Zechariah chapter 9. Now the prophet Zechariah spoke the word of the Lord to the Jews as they returned from their captivity and exile in, the, to, in Babylon and Persia about 500 years before Jesus was born. The temple in Jerusalem was being rebuilt back then. New hope was dawning and perhaps they thought that the Messiah that the Jews had always waited for would finally arise and make Israel great again. Zechariah's message is mysterious. He says, listen, the Messiah king would come unexpectedly. Gentle, humble, and mounted on a donkey. 
In fact, if you read Zechariah's promise a little bit further from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which John is quoting, you'll find that this king riding in would not only bring hope again to Israel, but in chapter, in verse 10, he would speak peace to the nations. He would be a king for all people. He would fulfill God's promises to set prisoners free. And in one of the greatest phrases of scripture, the Lord describes his people in Zechariah 9 as prisoners of hope. What a great line. Prisoners of hope. Freed by the king from our captivities that are the result of being dead in our slips and our misses, our transgressions and our sins, we become captives of hope, stuck in our isolations. Hope is what holds us. Now, God's vision is a king for all who would establish his shalom for all. And so when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, when the Jews faced a new threat, Rome, he specifically chooses a donkey, a little donkey. He's revealing a mystery. The humble king has arrived to bring peace to all nations. He's not like an earthly emperor. He is God come to rule over all people and inaugurate a whole new reality on the earth. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, which we finished up last week, Paul had revealed that Jesus, by his death, destroyed the wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, and he has created peace that he now rules over. And the church, the ecclesia, remember that Greek word we've been talking about? This called out new people who take responsibility for the space and the place, the kairos moments like the one that we're in right now. This church has peace with God because Jesus, our big brother, made it possible for us to become chosen, adopted, forgiven, full heirs in God's family. So we have peace now with God and we have peace with one another because none of us earned that, earned that standing with our Heavenly Father. We're all saved by grace. And so in Ephesians 3 now, Paul expands on this shocking mystery that God has fully revealed. And he longs for this motley crew of Jews and Gentiles in Ephesus to understand with this amazing mystery. And he begins declaring that this amazing mystery is worth suffering for. Paul is writing this, this message, uh, this letter to the Ephesians from prison in Rome. He is suffering for declaring the lordship of Jesus and building ecclesias when the emperor on his high horse didn't like it. So let's listen to Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus." Now notice who Paul says that he is a prisoner on behalf of. He says he's a prisoner on the behalf of you Gentiles. He's a Jew. 
And he's willingly suffered so that Gentiles could know this mystery. Have you ever wanted somebody to know something so much that you'd suffer for it? The movie The Climb, L'Ascension in French, tells the true story of a young French Senegalese guy named Nadir Dendouene who climbs Mount Everest to impress the woman he loves with no experience whatsoever. And he endures suffering to make his love known and he mysteriously actually accomplishes the feat and wins her heart. Some might do this to win affection. But Paul is suffering for a city who had once tried to eliminate him. Remember back in Acts 19? They rioted against Paul and this message of the gospel. God's grace, though, says Paul in verse 12, God's grace, or verse 2, sorry, God's grace has enabled Paul to take the mystery of Christ all over the Roman world. And grace, you see, it awakens and it sends us for the sake of others. It is the gift that is for regifting. And Paul says he's written only briefly. I think it's kind of funny, actually, that he says that, because when have you ever written a letter this long? And he's saying that the mystery that is now revealed in Christ, the humble king, is something people have longed to understand. And what is this mystery? Well, it's verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. People have forever longed to solve the mystery of how we get along. Country music star Kenny Chesney sings an anthem, Get Along. It goes like this, Get along on down the road, we've got a long, long way to go. Scared to live, scared to die. We ain't perfect, but we try. Yeah, we all try. But will, what will actually create a lasting and transformative uh, settling in peace in the world. And God patiently worked out in history his predetermined plan to undo the brokenness that came upon his creation because of our sin. God repeatedly takes what Satan, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, as he's described in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2, God repeatedly takes what Satan twists and, and intends for evil and he begins to use it for good. God endures human rebellion. He withholds his just wrath until that prime moment when the sun arrived under the radar and the humble king broke down the hostility between us all. And so, and all that was so that a reconciled people filled by God's spirit could carry out God's shalom work in creation. God himself solve the mystery of how this hostile world can work together. And so this mystery is revealed. Gentiles and Jews share the same rights, privileges, and responsibilities. In Christ, all are God's chosen people. In Christ, there is one new humanity. These are the prisoners of hope that are worth suffering for. In his disturbingly great book, The Insanity of God, and if you're looking for something to read, check this one out, The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin, he chronicles recent Christian suffering over the last 50 to 100 years. And he tells the story of interviewing a Russian named Stoyan. Now, when Stoyan was 12, his father, a pastor, was arrested by the officials of the Soviet Union. 
His dad suffered in prison, even to the point of having daily human feces spread on his toast for breakfast. He was sent to hard labor, repeatedly threatened with death until he was miraculously set free. And his father and mother's refusal to deny Christ under enormous pressure didn't destroy Stoyan's faith or his hope in Christ. It actually awakened it. And Stoyan himself became a persecuted leader in the church. And he began an underground Bible publishing network to bring the word of God to his people who had to share one dissected Bible among a whole church. So imagine taking this and I'd rip out Ephesians and I'd give it to Glenn so that Glenn could read Ephesians. And then Glenn would have to pass that on. That's what it was like. And so the secret police routinely made the life of Stoyan and his family miserable, but they never found evidence of his hidden work that had such visible impact. So when Ripkin interviewed Stoyan in 1998, less than a decade after the Soviet Union's collapse, this secret network had only come to light. And Ripkin writes of the end of his interview with this now very elderly man, and Stoyan says this, I thank God and I take great joy in knowing that I was suffering in prison in my country so that you, Nick, could be free to share Jesus in yours. And then Nick says, he looks at Stoyan and he says, oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to do that. You're not going to put that on me. That's a debt that's so large I could never repay you. And Stoyan says this, son, that's the debt of the cross. Don't steal my joy. I took great joy that I was suffering in my country so that you could be free to witness in your country. Don't ever give up in freedom what we, should never, what we would never give up in persecution. This is our witness to the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That one line has haunted me. Don't ever give up in freedom what we would never give up in persecution. Those words should drag us to our knees we are experiencing you and i an unprecedented historical moment and yet most of us are in warm homes with enough food likely even plenty of toilet paper we're, we're watching mysteries on netflix but are we overcome by the great cosmic mystery of god's good news are we giving up in freedom what others have never given up in persecution? Stoyan's life is the ongoing aroma of what Paul was living for the Ephesians. The power of the cross of Christ and his resurrection has initiated a new reality in history that has been uncovered and revealed. Paul says it's worth suffering for. Stoyan says that too. They are prisoners of hope. How about you? And I, and us. Mysterious times like this reveal a lot about us. What is the hope that we are proclaiming to those who are without God and without hope in the world, overrun by an invisible power that has very visible consequences? Perhaps that feels overwhelming. But the good work, but the good works of God's kingdom is actually grounded in the good news that it is God who does this as his spirit works through his people. And this has been Paul's point all along through Ephesians. The mystery is God's activity. And it's not something you embrace alone. It is the spirit-fired proclamation and demonstration of hope 
by the people of God of the good news of God for all. And Christians of every tribe and language are the mysterious nation of hope among the nations of the world. We know Jesus and we make him known. And so take courage and encourage and spur one another on toward love and good deeds precisely, precisely for days like these. And then Paul turns the mystery up a notch. He's going to turn it up. Look at verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for, which are your glory." Paul called us saints. Remember this? Beginning of Ephesians 1, he calls the Christians in Ephesus saints. We're the saints. And then he says that he is the least saint of all. You see, grace produces a humility that changes us, and that change ripples through the callings of our lives. Because Paul, who was once so proud of his Jewish identity, is now a a minister of the mystery that in Christ we are together, Jew and Gentile, the chosen and adopted children of God. And that all sounds amazing, but wait, there's more. (laughs) The mystery, this mystery, is not for feel-good kumbaya. The mystery has a great and covert purpose. Look at verse 10. So that through the church, the ecclesia, that's the word right there, through the ecclesia, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now just pause and take this in for a second. The church Jew and Gentile, sinners all, saints all, mystery all, was created by God to upend the powers of darkness. Just like Jesus rode in as the mysterious, covert, under-the-radar, humble king of peace, so the church mysteriously surprises the powers that be. The church is the covert, unexpected, donkey-riding, and much-derided expression of the wisdom of God. The church, seated with Christ and bearing his authority, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, is released into the world with all her beautiful and diverse manifestations. The word that Paul uses here is, ma- is manifold, polupoikolos, which means many, much diverse colors god will express all his wisdom through the prism of christ and that will produce an explosion of his light into the world you know what a prism is right you can see those glasses that look like they've their prisms right when a light hits a prism it explodes what is invisible into the manifold expression of the wonder of light The reality was always there. It just needed something to reveal the mystery. 
And God's work has always been going on in the world. It still is today. He has been shining his light. He is shining his light. But when Christ came and when people gave up the claim to their own rights and name him Lord and King, when Jew and Gentile willingly come together in Christ as the saints, the chosen and the adopted, they become the unexpected prism through which the manifold, exploding, mysterious light of God's wisdom is revealed revealed in the world. This is hope, true hope. Every other human attempt to get along depends on an ideological truce or on you changing your mind to think like I do or me changing my mind to think like you do. And this inevitably creates deeper divisions and hostility. Even the church of Jesus Christ is beset by this because people will divide and disperse because we don't quite think alike. The world is full of this reality right now, fractures and brokenness that are just starting to appear as we get a sense of this new moment we're living in. But the gospel of Jesus says we're all wrong. We don't need truce. We need transformation. We were dead, but God. True hope depends on something, on someone outside of the passions and the thinking that we follow. We don't need to agree with each other. We need to agree with God. That's the point. We need to be made alive. We need hostilities healed. And this God accomplished in Christ. We are invited into that position and that reality, into that humility and mystery. This is what Paul himself experienced. It's what the Ephesians were experiencing. And it's the only hope for today's fractured world, for your fractured world. But this takes an ecclesia with a clear awareness of the light that we are. Now, do you remember, I had that little Lego thing the last couple weeks, do you remember the rulers of the kingdom of the air, that way of the world that's controlled by Satan, which Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3? Uh, the anthropologist Paul Hebert called that the excluded middle for people in the Western world. We don't think about that middle power which controls us so oftentimes, and we forget about it to our peril. Remember the thinking and the passions that we Gentiles followed, which, which, which left us empty and hopeless? Well, the great mystery is that the church becomes God's humble, unexpected, donkey-riding presence, exploding and dispersing the wisdom of God, not only into the world, but to those powers as well. Christians, you see, are seated with Christ in the heavenly place and take on his authority over those deceptive, hellish powers that dominate, rule, and subject creation. And we who repent and come back home, we don the robes of heirs. And we step back by grace into the position that God himself secured for us yet again. We join Jesus, the humble king, in ruling and setting back in place where spiritual powers of darkness wreak havoc and mess with people, places, and spaces that we love. Do you understand where we're headed here? We say to fear, get under the lordship of the king of peace. 
We say to greed, we will not be led by you. We say to xenophobia, every tribe and language is included in the mystery. We say to lust and sexualization, love is not selfishness or objectification. We say to the glorification of humanity without God, such pride is the lie that caused our great fall. Humanity without God is a disaster waiting to happen. The Russian Nobel Prize winning author Alexander Solzhenitsyn reflected on the disaster that was the Soviet Union. He said, if I were asked to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of our people, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat this. Men have forgotten God, and that's why all this has happened. Do you see it? God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. We, the mystery, this new humanity, are, are sent to every side road and neighborhood to ride in as God rides in, to suffer as God suffers, living out God's love and proclaiming to the spiritual powers, the king has come and we are his. We have been restored to our rightful dignity in Christ. We will not be ruled by you any longer now get back into your place and serve him too greed greed become creative entrepreneurship goodness and generosity lust and sexuality become loving faithfulness purity and the joyful procreative mandate of our creator fear become confidence boldness and courage xenophobia become love peace and unity for the sake of the glory of god in the world humanity love the lord your god with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you, Satan, you defeated tyrant and liar, go to hell where you belong. Do you see it? This is the high call, the boldness and confidence in verse 12 that is ours because of what God has done for Jew and Gentile in Jesus Christ. This is why the church in the city of change must struggle, contend, and sometimes suffer to remain Christian. Taffy Burdesser Ackner was sent by GQ magazine to investigate the spiritual transformation of Justin Bieber. He was baptized in an NBA star's bathtub by a New York City pastor named Carl and Bieber was becoming a great mystery. But Taffy was less interested in Bieber as she was in Pastor Carl, this strange creature who looked like every hipster she knew, but was centered in Jesus and saw life and ethics entirely differently than she did. She hoped, in fact, to expose him as a fraud and a joke. Instead, she writes this, I couldn't dislike Carl. It's Carl who will take my jokes about Christianity and follow them up with 200-word texts in which he tries to use this toehold to tell me his good news. He's so worried for my soul, and this should annoy me, but instead it touches me because maybe I'm worried about my soul too. How can I fault someone who is more sincere about this one thing that I have ever been about anything in my life? But on the other hand, if there's one thing that's true about Christianity, and this is her writing, it's that no matter what couture it's wearing, 
No matter what Selena Gomez hymnal it's singing, it's still afraid for your soul. It still thinks you're in for a reckoning. It's still Christianity. And then she says this, Christianity's jam is remaining Christian. She says what many Christians have seemed to forgotten, forget. Our whole jam is to remain Christian. And this is why Paul calls us to understand who we are in Christ and who we are in Christ together. Because the church's task is to apply the good news repeatedly to ourselves and contend for the good news repeatedly in every historical moment. Our job is to be a gospel fellowship. This is why the church gathers, even when we gather like this. This is why the church worships. This is why the church prays big prayers. This is why the church humbles and repents when she's headed wrong and she can be wrong and has done wrong. And this is why the church loves and serves and takes risks. And this is why the church refuses to unhook from the cornerstone of Christ and the truth of scripture and drift off with every shifting culture this is why the church wrestles with what it means to be the mystery in every age. In Ephesus in 52 AD and in Kelowna in quarantine in 2020. And this is why the church has been willing to suffer at the hands of the powers to witness to the powers for the sake of those controlled by the powers. It's why Paul rejoiced in prison I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. We struggle and strain to remain Christian, and only in this contending to remain in Christ do we have any hope of being for our time and place the manifold, light-releasing, authority-bearing ecclesia, where we proclaim in word and deed to the powers that be there is a king and we are his prisoners of hope. We bring his freedom to our time and to those who are prisoners of hopelessness to this city in this time and change. Our jam is to remain Christian and we never give up in freedom what was never given up in persecution. Now how would you apply this to your life? Is there a power that's controlling you? Is there power controlling your household, your history, your present? Jesus is the Savior and the Spirit of God leads us to embrace a new authority. What do you need to speak to in the name of Jesus today? Return to that authority place that you have in Christ. That thing shouldn't control you. What new boldness, what new love, what new fire is burning in you right now? What might that be pointing toward and pointing you toward in a time like this? What mysterious act of good news is required of you in the ripples of your calling? And what new way of understanding and loving the church is coming alive in you? How might you spur others on to be the church for such a time as this? How, I, how might we be the ecclesia in the city of change? Lord Jesus, head of the church, we worship you. We thank you for the other fellowships in our city and around the world 
who continue to struggle and contend to remain Christian. Who are trying to figure out what that means again today, in this time, in this place, in the midst of this historical moment we find ourselves in. God, give your church wisdom, creativity. Fill your church, the temple of the living God, with your Holy Spirit. And then God, in the places that you have us, in the places where we may be controlled, Lord, lift us up to our rightful dignity. Help us to see our place with you. To not allow fear or lust or shame or xenophobia or anger or addiction to control us. And Lord, we know it's not just a simple thing that we're asking because we've become prisoners to things and we need your deliverance. Would you set us free and we, we open our hearts and we open our hands and we open our beings to you. Set us free from the brokennesses of our past. And Jesus, we declare you the Lord and the King of peace. You are over these things and so release your grip in the name of Jesus you powers over our lives and teach us what it means to be the people of God, the ecclesia for this place, for the people you have us isolated with, for our neighborhoods, for our world. We need you, Lord. Open our eyes, awaken us to the mystery and show us what it means to live into it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.